Well, good morning, Harvest, and so glad that you are here. Ask, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. If you don't have your Bible with you, grab one from uh, in the back of the seats there. It's page uh, 845, I believe, Mark chapter 9. Uh, no fancy introductions, no cute stories. We're just going to dive into God's Word because it's enough. And uh, here, nothing's wrong with stories and so forth, but we're just going to dive in this morning with that. Uh, We're in the beginning of chapter uh, 9 last Sunday, uh, a couple Sundays ago actually with the transfiguration and we got a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ in that. Uh, Jesus is more. Uh, Today we go from the mountaintop into the valley uh, to get a significantly different glimpse. But here's the cool thing, not only is Jesus more in the glorified reality of who he is, but know this as well, Jesus is more when hell is unleashed, Jesus is more. In fact, here we're going to see a glimpse of the attacks of hell on God's people, if you will, and we're going to find even there, Jesus still is more everywhere he is. So we're going from the mountaintop to the valley floor, Jesus is more, let's just dive right in, get at it. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 9, it says, as they were coming down from the mountain, from the transfiguration, Uh, so we're getting, that's the context, let's pick up verse 14, where we're going to be starting with today. And after coming down from the mountain, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. Okay, let's set a little, little bit of the context of what's going on here. The, the three disciples and Jesus uh, uh, who are up with Jesus uh, at the transfiguration, they're coming down off of the mountaintop. Uh, they're coming down from the place Peter wanted to stay. He wanted to stay up on the mountain, but they're coming back into real world, real life stuff going on. That's the reality of what life is now. Uh, Jesus is like, nope, dude, we're going to the valley. Here we go. So they head down off the mountain uh, into the valley. By the way, uh, you could even view it this way. They're not just heading off the mountain down into the valley and what's going on. Uh, they're heading off the mountain and Jesus is on his way to Golgotha into the cross. That's really what's happening right here at this moment. Sink that into your minds as he comes down from the transfiguration. It's to the cross we go. That's the reality of it. So here they come from the mountain to the valley. They're in the valley and they step into real life and what's going on in real life with the remaining nine disciples. And the nine disciples are there. Uh, They're in the midst of getting chewed up by the scribes. Uh, It is a fuss going on at this moment. And they're hanging there. We're going to find out all what's going on. But I'll just tell you, from the mountaintop to the valley, this kind of has a little bit of a reflection of Moses coming down from Mount uh, Sinai. Uh, there Moses is up on the mountain uh, with the Lord, uh, if you will, almost face to face or as close as you could get to that as possible. And then he comes down off of the mountain. And, and there are God's people, uh, I'm just going to kind of term it this way in light of today, there are God's people in a hellish situation, uh, in their own, uh, by themselves. There they are, Moses down, uh, coming down, and God's people are making an idol. And uh, Aaron's like, I don't know, they just threw stuff in there and it popped out. And, uh, yeah, and we're going to see a little bit of that almost here. Bless their hearts. Uh, uh, I just want to say this. Jesus comes down from the mountain and he sticks. And he stays close even in our foolishness and even in our hellish situations. The Lord Jesus stays. It's very cool. Let's watch it. 
So the scene down uh, in the valley is there's nine disciples. They're in a fuss with the scribes. If you're new to the Bible, who are the scribes? I mean, they sound like architects or something. Uh, who are the scribes? Uh, I might term it this way in kind of modern day words. Uh, they are like constitutional experts, uh, except their constitution is the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And, and basically in that day, the scribes were, were given the authority to kind of translate what the original writer intended. That's kind of why I say constitutional experts. And they not only were given the right to teach and to kind of interpret uh, what was going on, but, but the scribes were the ones who were also policing the following of it. But what had gotten so awry was this was really in this day and age not so much anymore about the, the Torah. This was really about the oral law. All of the rules and regulations that man put together outside of God's written law and managing all of this. So uh, here are the Torah police. Uh, they are down there. Uh, they are central. Uh, they are kind of crimes and partner uh, of religiosity with the Pharisees. Okay? So these are not the uh, guys that we want to be like. So why is this conundrum going on with the nine disciples? Well, look, verse 15. Here we go for the 28th time. The word is coming. Verse 15. And when they come down and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, were greatly amazed, ran up to him and greeted him. I just want to pause here for a second because it's one of those, those are one of those verses you can just kind of read right on by. But let me just make a notation. Are you catching the instant recognition of people of Jesus? I mean, people, they see him and bam, they know right off who he is and they're not running away from him. They're actually running to him. Uh, this might be <laughs> kind of in modern day words again. This might be Jesus at this point in time is like a rabbi rock star and everybody is rushing to him and running to him and that's what's taking place. They saw him. They were greatly amazed in their seeing of him. They ran to him, greeted him. Verse 16. And he, Jesus, said to them, uh, being the nine disciples, by the way, uh, what are you arguing about with them? And the them being the scribes. Guys, what are you arguing about with them? And, and someone from the crowd answered him, well, teacher, by the way, why didn't the disciples speak up? Uh, uh, someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. Wait, who was he bringing his son to? To Jesus, where was Jesus? Jesus is up on the mountain in the transfiguration going on. So I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So essentially, because you weren't here, I asked your nine remaining disciples who were here to cast it out from him. And there's four words here I'd encourage you to underline at the verse uh, end of verse 18. And they were not able. Let's pause there. And they were not able. So let's go back here. Set this. Uh, what's the cause for the argument? Well, a man brings his son uh, who's mute, who's having these epileptic-like seizures going on. Parents, can you imagine being in that situation? By the way, some of you, I'm sure, have had children who have gone through seizure situations, or you've known of someone. Now imagine that's going on all the time um, in this. And, and here, for some reason, they know that this is not just a physical thing, 
But this is this demon possession thing that's going on. Just, just a couple comments with that. Number one, uh, demons and demon activity is for real. Okay? Just know that. You go to some other countries in the world and uh, you will know that quite quickly by seeing what's going on. But demons and demon activity is for real. Okay? It's not just a movie thing. Uh, we are in a spiritual warfare. Now, along with this, I want to note that uh, this, not all physical ailments are demon possession. I almost feel silly having to say that, but I need to nowadays. Because someone having seizures does not necessarily mean they are demon possessed. In fact, most likely they aren't. I'll even go on this and say, in my theology, as I understand the scriptures, believers in Christ, redeemed people in Christ, cannot be possessed by demons. That's another subject, another time. But here in this, I just want to put that on the table, because if you know someone, have someone, you're thinking, so or is that demon activity? Be very, very careful with that. Uh, here we go. Okay, so the dad brings his son to Jesus. Jesus isn't there. He's with the, so the nine disciples are there. The, the dad asked the nine disciples to cast the spirit or the demon out of him. Uh, somehow he knew that this was demon activity. The nine disciples were not able to cast that demon out. Now, I've kind of gone past, and I want to bring back in the fact that what's going on in this setting is after this activity, that's what's in place, and yet we know that there's an argument going on with the scribes. I think it's right, rightful to ask, why are the scribes there, and why are they making a fuss? Just leave the dude alone. Well, here's why. Mark chapter 2, verse 6, if you remember, the scribes we first find out are not liking Jesus. Not liking him, okay? Uh, then in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, the Pharisees are plotting to kill Jesus. By the way, it's not in the text, but you may as well just know. When the Pharisees are plotting to kill Jesus, so are the scribes right along with the whole process of it, okay? And so there's a plot to kill Jesus. It's one, one thing not to like someone. It's another thing to want, seek out to kill them, right? Agreed? So we could say these people don't like Jesus, <laughs> all right? I think that's very for sure. Then Mark uh, 3.22, the scribes are saying that Jesus is possessed by Satan, okay? It's one thing not to like someone. It's a whole nother thing to say, I want to kill you. And it's on top of that, icing on the cake. It's another thing to say, you're possessed by Satan, that's what was going on. And so here through all these passages, we've been seeing the scribes and Pharisees are just like these KGB, KG, uh, not King James versions, but KGB agents <laughs> following Jesus around. Why? Because they want to catch them to destroy him. Okay? So they're there, these KJB, oh my word, KGB agents that are there. So here they are, they're back there. They catch the nine disciples, and the nine disciples are unable to do anything. I don't know what the disciples were saying. We don't know what it is, so I have to be very careful here. But we for sure have to have some understanding that these guys know that the disciples are trying to cast the demon out, but they were not what? They were not able. And so they're like, bam, this is the moment. This is the time. Uh, likely they are proclaiming the name of God in this. They are 
saying that they're from the Lord doing this whole thing. And it's like nothing's happening. And for the, for the scribes, they're like, this is it. This shows these guys are not from God because they can't do what they're asking God to do. And so they are like, this is golden moment to attack and destroy. And that's what's happening. So the big picture is uh, uh, from the transfiguration down into the valley. And there's a demon uh, destroying a boy. By the way, just quick comment. You little wimp. Going after a boy. Friends, understand demons could care less about anybody anything other than destroying anything that is the Lord's. And here he's going after a little boy, you wimp. And so that's what's happening. They come down, a demon is destroying a boy. Uh, I, I would even say all the forces of hell are right there on the table with this trying not only to destroy the boy, but trying to destroy the name of Christ and the disciples all in the same time. Uh, through the disciples. I just want to pause. I think three important truths can come out of here. I just like to put on the table. Number one, Satan is on a destroying mission and he takes no vacations. I termed it that way because for most of us, we've kind of been in a few days of vacation, maybe exhausting vacation, but it's vacation. Satan never goes on a vacation. Never. And he is always on a destroying mission. And he never takes a vacation from that. Hey, hunters, you you, you know what this is about. But you take vacations from hunting. Satan never takes a vacation from hunting the destruction to take you down. You are always in the crosshairs of it. Satan never takes a vacation. Secondly... I just want to note, separated from Jesus is a very vulnerable place to be. Isn't that interesting? Jesus with kind of, with three of the disciples are up on the transfiguration down here, the nine disciples, and kind of, if you will, there's a bit of a separation going on here. Separation from Christ means trouble. And I want to bring it from two aspects. Number one, If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if there's never been a time in your life where you've come to the realization of what the Scriptures say, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that you are in need of a Savior, that you are a sinner, and we're going to see here in a little bit, total depravity, and you are in need of a Savior, and, and not just knowing about Jesus, but the other Sunday I talked about how it's like, it's like with a wedding, and it's not just dating Jesus, it's not just knowing about Jesus, but there comes a point in time where you say, no, 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 we are going to make a covenant commitment to this thing. Have you come to a point where you've driven the stake in the ground and received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, you are separated from Christ and you are in trouble. I say that with the greatest of care and love for you. Because this is not a game that you play. This is an eternal reality situation. And if you are without Christ, you need to receive Christ as your Savior. And if you have any questions about that, you come and ask one of us. You, come, you ask the person you came with here. You need to know that you know that you know. Because separated from Christ 
is trouble. By the way, I also want to bring in the second aspect of that. Person in Christ. You may be in Christ, but are you walking with Christ? And actually, the context of the situation is not talking about what I was just referring to as that first condition separation. The context of the text is really talking about, if you will, Christ's disciples separated from the Lord. And look what happens. When separation comes up, you are vulnerable. If you're not walking with Christ, it's time to get right with him and get back. Because you are a walking target right now. Separation from Christ is a vulnerable place to be. Sheep separated from the shepherd means sheep that are in big trouble. Third, spiritual victory is never an in-your-own-strength thing. Spiritual victory is never an in-your-own-strength thing. And I'm talking about whether it be just normal life challenges or a demonic attack. Living in a sin-cursed world with sin-cursed hearts means you and I will never win a battle fought in our own strength. Never. Okay? And, And I think there's a tendency for those in Christ to think that we are in Christ and now it's time to go it alone. To buck it up, suck it up, and man up. And no, no, no. It's Jesus up. That's the reality of it. Because in our own strength is having no strength. In our own strength is having having no strength. Verse Verse 18, they were not able. Listen, you and I are never able on our own. Never. When it comes to spiritual things, in your own strength, you are not able. When it comes to spiritual victory, in your own strength, not able. When it comes to spiritual growth, in your own strength, you are not able. When it comes to conquering sin, in your own strength, not able. When it comes to living out biblical truth, in your own strength, what? That's right. Coming into a radical relationship with Jesus Christ and driving the stake in the ground by the way and receiving Christ as your safe is not an in your own strength thing either. You're not able to on your own. By the way, being God's kind of man, God's kind of woman, God's kind of husband, God's kind of wife, God's kind of single, God's kind of teen, in your own strength, not able. Also, being God's kind of employer, God's kind of employee, God's kind of student, God's kind of anything, in your own strength, you are not able. The fact of the matter is we are completely unable. You do not come to Christ in your own strength. You do not remain in Christ in your own strength. You do not grow in Christ in your own strength. And you do not glorify Christ in your own strength. Never, ever. Think about it. Because if you are, it's a works-oriented salvation and a works-oriented sanctification. There is no victory in in your own strength because there is no strength in in your own strength. Satan is on a destroying mission and he takes no vacations. Separated from Jesus is a vulnerable place to be. Spiritual victory is never an in-your-own-strength thing. Verse 19, Jesus has something to say. 
So I asked your disciples to cast them out. They were not able. Verse 19. And he, Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Now bring him to me. We need to pause here for a few. These are hard words. Because, by the way, it's not just their generation. It's really a reality with all generations. And by the way, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Do you get the idea of the exasperation and the weariness of Christ with people like us? Seriously, friends, we need to take this in for a little bit. Jesus is like, really? How long am I to be with you? (laughs) How long am I to bear with you? Hey, did you maybe feel that way over Thanksgiving with some people? (laughs) And now you know what he's talking about. If family's near you, I hope you didn't shake your head yes or anything. By the way, uh, Sinclair Ferguson says on this, Mark vividly captures the pressures and frustrations of Christ's life in these verses. On the mountaintop, he was faced with the spiritual short-sightedness of the disciples. And here in the valley, he is confronted by their unbelief. William Lane adds, Jesus' rhetorical questions of how long am I to be with you and how long am I to bear with you express the loneliness and the anguish of the one living in a world of total unbelief. Friends, part of my job in preaching on Sundays is to uh, say things to ourselves that we normally wouldn't say to ourselves. You know, times I I trust that you are in God's word through the week and you have quiet times and times with the Lord. And yet yet there are times to where when we do that, we just sometimes don't say the things to ourselves that we need to hear. And so part of proclaiming God's word includes the reality of saying some things that we wouldn't normally say to ourselves off to the side. So I want to put something in here, something that we don't often want to hear, but we need to hear it. And it's this. We far too often think that we're a bigger treasure than we really are. We far too often think we are bigger treasures than we really are. Like, by the way, would you pray for me with this roof thing? Um, We're working on it. We're getting on it. But uh, sorry, I'm struggling with it. Um, Where was I at? Yeah, sorry, gang. Welcome to the heart of a pastor here. Um, Yeah. We oftentimes think the Lord really won when he got me. That's reversed. Let me say a few things here. Um, Genesis 6, verses 5 through 6, the Lord is speaking to um, Noah right at the time of Noah. And here's the Lord's evaluation of what's going on in the earth. And he said, the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great in the earth. And listen to this. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you hear the buildup of words? 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. By the way, understand, the Lord's not looking and going, oh, I never expected this to happen. It's not that. It's just in this, there's a sorrow that goes on where it's like, at times you just evaluate what's happening in a relationship or with your kids or, or, or whatever, and you just sit back and you go, I love them, but right now it's just like, this is so sorry. Romans 3 says, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks after God. Oh, but I do. No, not without the Lord. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We're not the treasure that we oftentimes think that we are. Well, I deserve so much. Yeah, the Bible talks about what we deserve. That's the reality. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in your sins upon sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, no wonder verse 1 starts out with, but God. I mean, how can a dead person make themselves alive? They can't. Someone has to intercede. And this is just one of these moments that we see here where it's like we're reminded that our personal resumes before the Lord are not very impressive. In fact, before our Creator on our own, we are totally depraved. We are totally incapable and here's the reality we are totally repulsive in our sinfulness before a holy god believe me that includes me we are faithless we are self-centered we are desperate and we are undeserving but notice the end of verse 19 jesus doesn't walk away. He doesn't walk away. But in fact, what he does is he steps into the mess. You see what he says? Bring him to me. It's kind of like this parenthetic moment. It's like, oh my word, how long do I have to put up with this? How long do I have to put up with this roof? And then he steps in. Sweet. Let's keep reading verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, here we go, immediately. By the way, this is what the demon did to the boy. What a wimp. It convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. He could care less about this boy. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? By the way, it's important to know, a comment like that, Jesus doesn't, doesn't not know. He's making this information public for those around to know. Because imagine, what if he's just been sick for the last week? 
And they find out later, well, he's just sick for the last week and it was just a coincidence. But no, 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 the, the, the Jesus here gives information for the whole crowd, including the nine and now the 12 disciples to know everything that's going on. How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, bam, that's a piece of information he wanted on the table. Verse 22, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Look at this, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, I, I don't know the inflection on that. And I really wish I knew. I don't know. It's not, it's, there's no question mark in the Greek. So I don't know if it's like a, if you can, or if it's a kind of almost like an emphatic again, one more time, letting everybody know what's on the table. If you can. Everybody got it on the table? We're going to find out if I can. So if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. This is the third time just in this text. This is number 30. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out. Why? Because when when he said uh, in this, but if you can do anything, have compassion. Jesus says, if you can, however, the inflection is on that. If you can, all things are possible for who believes. And he's like, bam, I'm, I, I believe. <laughs> I'm first in line, first in line. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, I love these three words, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, I would have loved to hear him see this. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus... That sounds like Ephesians 2, verse 4. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Oh, that's cool. Let's kind of go back, catch up a little bit. Uh, Verse 22, uh, the desperation of the dad. Jesus, have compassion on us. Help us. Uh, I'm unable. (laughs) I'm helpless. I'm total desperation. You know, by the way, in this, so, so often I think we have a tendency to think we need to be in a good place because in a desperate place, coming to the Lord is a bad place to be. You know, I know what I'm talking about. It's like we oftentimes think, you know, we got to kind of get, get ourselves cleaned off and, you know, straightened up and, and get our act together before we come to the Lord. And it's like, okay, Lord, now that I have my act together, now I give myself to you. And he's like, seriously the Lord loves people who come to him desperate and by the way that's why I spent the time to talk about our utter desperation in our sinfulness before the Lord because the reality is we are desperate people not only desperate for a savior to come and redeem us but for a desperate we are desperate for a savior to keep us walking in him Friends, we are desperate. Do you know how desperate you are? Because if you don't think that you're very desperate, you're really not in need of a savior. 
If you really don't know how desperate you are, then you only have, let me, let me start over. If you have a small view of your desperation, you only need a small Jesus. But if you have a real big view of your total desperation, you're like, I need a big Jesus God. And that's why understand our total depravity is so critical to understanding how grand and great God is. And in our world today, we don't want to talk about the depravity. We don't want to talk about the sin. What we want to do is talk about how great we are. And when we're great, we don't need a great God. But here's this man, he's totally desperate. And he cries out, if you can, depth of his faith, it's not very deep. He hasn't gotten himself all together and primed up and dressed up and the whole deal. He's desperate and he comes before and he says, I'm totally desperate. In fact, I'm so desperate. I think you can, but I don't even know if you can. Help my unbelief. I do have a weak faith. Help me in spite of my weak faith. Jesus had just said a little bit ago, how long can I be with this faithless generation? And he's like, yeah, that's me. Newsflash, you do not come to Jesus fixed up. You come to Jesus a broken mess. You do not come to Jesus fixed up. You come to Jesus a broken mess. Crying out, Lord, help my unbelief. Verse 25, Jesus steps in and rebukes the demon. Oh, I would have loved that. That's just like eye to eye. Here, this is like we're given insight into this spiritual moment. Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, talking to this demon. And he's like, dude, I'm telling you, boy, get out of here. And what's the demon do? However all that was. Cries out, convulses the boy, but he leaves. Demons obey. Who in the world is this guy? A normal person cannot do this. Verse 27, Jesus then takes the boy by the hand, lifts him up. Literal Greek translation of this could be Jesus raised him and he was resurrected. Isn't that cool? Jesus raised him and he was resurrected. Friends, Jesus is more. He is more. Well, let's, let's come to the last couple of verses and wrap this up. Verse 28. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. uh, These are the nine disciples. uh, Jesus, why could we not cast that out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's take a few minutes on this. Self-sufficiency may be viewed as a great strength in our world, but it is not in God's world. Self-sufficiency is not an attribute that the Lord loves. Because self-sufficiency means you're not in need. Self-sufficiency actually means I am more. Not Jesus is more. And so the nine disciples are in this. They're like, why could we not cast the demon out? And, and, and in this, as you read with commentators and, and work this through, I think there's no question that contained with this question is giving the setting that the, 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 there was a spirit of pride in what was going on somewhere in the whole thing. Whether it was good intentions on the whole healing of the boy, but yet hidden within was a spirit of pride. Somewhere in here, there is this idea of a sense of self-capableness. And likely rooted in their past accomplishment, by the way. Because you go back to Mark chapter 6. 
And it's kind of like, hey, we were given the ability to do this before, and they did back in Mark chapter 6, and they reported that they had done this in the past. But now it's like this time it didn't work. Did you see where the potential for self-sufficiency gets to? Hey, by the way, small group leaders, you can get self-sufficient. Hey, this is going really well. No. Same thing for me here. Listen, if this becomes a self-sufficiency thing, like I've done this how many hundreds of times now every week, and it's like the next one's going to be really good also, (laughs) fire me. Because that's self-sufficiency, and that is not Jesus is more, but that is I am more. And here Jesus answers this, and he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What's he saying here? It's an interesting statement. Uh, The words, this kind. Uh, Jesus is not saying that some demon exorcisms require prayer and others do not. He's not saying that. He's not saying that you have the abracadabra capability, but this is a really big one. Like this was a higher up demon, and therefore higher up demons have abracadabra process number two. He's not getting into that kind of a thing. Because know this. When the Lord tells a demon what to do, it always obeys. Okay? And so the problem is, is that something was going on to where the Lord's strength was not the strength going here. And so the the demon essentially is going, you can tell me what you want to tell me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Then the Lord steps in. I have something to say. The demon runs. You see what's going on? One thing is done in man's strength. The other thing is done in the Lord's strength. And Jesus here is saying, listen, this kind, this, this kind is really referring to all spiritual conflicts. This is a spiritual conflict on the table. This is not just some guys in an intellectual disagreement. This is hell hath no force, and it's happening right there. And he's like, guys, listen to me. You're dealing with a spiritual issue. You don't abracadabra it. You need to bring me into it. And how do, how do we bring the Lord into it? Look at the text. This kind, spiritual things cannot be driven out by anything but what? Hey, this whole thing is coming down to the point of Jesus is bringing to the table. We need to be people of prayer. We can be people of action and we should be. But if prayer is not there in it, it's all on our own strength. Then what's the difference between us and a Buddhist and a Jehovah's Witness and anybody else on the face of the earth doing something on their own strength? There is no difference. This is really a passage to call us to prayer. This kind. Guys, this is spiritual warfare. And you don't fight spiritual warfare with your title. Well, we're one of the nine disciples. Twelve disciples. We're one of the disciples. We're one of the apostles. Abracadabra, kaboof. What's with that? That's in your own strength. 
No, no, this is a Lord thing. By the way, you can go and look at it later on. I'm just going to read it for you here. Parents, when you teach the whole armor of God to your kids, you know, really cool thing, dress them up, get all that, and, you know, really cool stuff. By the way, we so often forget something that is absolutely, absolutely the pinnacle of it all. In verse 18, verse 17, it says, Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, armor up for spiritual battle, which is the Word of God. So you've got salvation and the Spirit, and you've got the Word of God charging and all the other armors. And then verse 18, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication. Do you see what's going on? Armor up and run in prayer. Because there is no strength, even if I use on my own God's word, and I'm like, oh, the spirit of God has indwelt me because I am a believer in Christ. I am redeemed in Christ. Listen, and you can still charge ahead all armored up and all in your own strength. Are you doing that? I've had to ask myself this all week. And I mean this very seriously. Is that you? You may be doing some great things for the Lord and the Lord is using you really well in spite of you. But yet in the reality of it all, is it all in your own strength? The whole armor of God is supported by the reality of us before the Lord in prayer. That's the strength behind it all because that's where the Lord is. And Mark 9 here, Jesus is saying that doing battle in your own strength means you've lost the battle before it even began because you're doing it in your own strength. And it's in the face down action of prayer where the conflicts of life are dealt with rightly. Because think about what happens in prayer. Lord, I, I, I can't do this. Lord, I need you. Do you just see in, in that couple seconds, a whole scenario is all of a sudden turned into a place to where, Lord, I can't charge ahead. I can't deal with these conflicts. I can't deal with these issues without you. You have already put yourself right where the guy comes to the Lord. If you can help, help my unbelief. That's what happens in that mode. And by the way, you don't have to close your eyes. Sometimes I keep my eyes open when we pray and I look them around just at the glory of God. Okay? It's okay. It's okay. And that means right when you are talking with someone at work, invite the Lord in. Because prayer is that place where Jesus is made to be more. Lord, right now I really want to take this whole argument here academically and I just really want to deal with this in my own strength, Lord, and I really want to right now. And he's talking to me right now as I'm talking to you. But Lord God, would you come into this? Because you need to take this thing. You need to be more in this. I am incapable. I am incompetent. I need you. For your glory. Man, it puts us in a whole new place, doesn't it? And yet, how often do I, how often do we do it in our own strength?
armored up in our own strength. Last two things. The disciples failed big time here, the nine guys, bless their hearts. I would have too. But you know what? Spiritual failures can hurt, but they can also help us grow. Number one, spiritual failures bring about more driven to the person. Driven to the person. Driven to the person of Christ. Listen, when we fail in things, we are reminded at times of it's like, oh my word, I just did that all on my own. Lord, I come to you. I'm driven to you. Friends, embrace failures. And failures embraced should drive us to the person of Jesus Christ. Driven to the person. By the way, past victories in Christ are no guarantee of present or future victories in Christ. We just never advance beyond our need for Jesus. Secondly, driven to the person always includes driven to prayer. Show up, Lord. Because I'm going to fail if you don't. Lord, show up in this. Lord, I need you. Lord, you are more. Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help me. And I'll just say, that is the right place to be. That's the right place to be. Hey, we're going to sing this song, Lord, I need you. Let's sing it as our prayer, okay? Let's do that.